You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. This season, we are reading Wild at Heart by John Eldridge and Captivating by John and Stacey Eldridge, losing the plot on manhood and womanhood one chapter at a time. I am your host, Janice Legata, and I'll be ripping up this week's chapter with a good member of the Bad Book Club. Co-host, introduce yourself, please. I am Melanie. And I, I'm, I'm in the Chicago area, and I'm an English teacher. I'm a high school English teacher. And I first encountered these books in a group study of young couples with my husband. And uh, right away, you know, there was that there was that scene in the book about the rock star parking lot, er, parking spot, and my husband and I were like. That's that's more how Melanie is, and so we just there was there was there was just a not fitting of it all, you know. And so then I listened. So then you know Janice had a gap in the schedule. I listened to our episode, and I remembered how much fun we had, and I was like, let's do this again. Let's get the let's get the band back together. And so so here we are. Excellent. So we'll get started with the reading of the opening paragraph. We'll have a discussion, and then hear the closing paragraph, and send you on your way. For additional context and conversation and the option to listen to these episodes with no ads, I invite you to join the people of Jod by becoming a Jodly or Jod-willing patron on Patreon. But either way, I'm happy you're here and I hope you're ready, because without further ado, let's get into... Wild at Heart, Chapter 11. There is a river that winds its way through southern Oregon, running down from the Cascades to the coast, which has also wound its way through my childhood, carving a path in the geography of my memory. As a young boy I spent many summer days on the road, fishing and swimming and picking blackberries, but mostly, fishing. I loved the name given to the river by French trappers, the River Scoundrel. It gave a mischievous benediction to my adventures there, I was a rogue on the road. Those golden days of boyhood are some of my most cherished memories, and so a few summers ago I took Stassi and the boys there, to share with them a river and a season from my life. The lower part of the road runs through some hot and dry country in the summer months, especially in late July, and we were looking forward to kayaking as an excuse to get really wet and find a little adventure of our own. We're playing all the hits today. (laughs) Well, because John provided them for us. Uh, Oh, so yeah, so technically, both books, Wild at Heart and Captivating, each have 12 chapters. Mm -hmm. Uh, The 12th chapter of Captivating is an actual chapter, but the 12th chapter of Wild at Heart is just a paragraph. It's just a, now that you know what to do, go and do it. So for all intents and purposes, chapter 11 is the final chapter. And yeah, like you said, that is baffling. baffling. <laughs> this After all this, this is where we end up. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. We already said what chapter you had, but Melanie, what was this chapter about? That That is an excellent question, Janice. I feel... I feel like he is kind of wrapping up. It seems to me he's wrapping up kind of this. There's, there's some repetition. He's wrapping up the stuff that he's already kind of introduced. And the title of the chapter is An Adventure to Live. But he revisits the story of going to grad school and becoming, becoming a psychologist. And, and so he just, he just spends like this whole time just 
he refers to the road not taken. And, and it, you know, he's, he seems to be wanting to justify this idea that there's another path. There's another path for men, but, but it's a very, you, you asked in the, in the pre-questions, who is this chapter for? This chapter is for men like John Eldridge. As I was going through the chapter, I labeled a number of spots with P for privilege because these guys, I'm just, cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to have this compassion for John, right? Like, because he does seem really stuck or lost, you know, like he really does. He really, like, I, I, I can, he says so many times in so many ways that, that, that the culture or whatever, you know, this out, there's these outside forces that are telling him to be something he's not, right? But when you follow through on the logic there, it's like, who are the forces? And it just feels to, it seems to me that it's, it's just other guys like himself that are just creating these, these, these prisons, but the, the lock is on the inside, you know, like just open the door, just walk out, you know? So, so it's, um, it's, it's, and then we end with Mount Everest. I mean, so it's really, it's, you know, if I, if my student, if a student of mine had written this paper, I would just, I would, I would just go back and I'd be like, so what is your thesis, honey? Like, where are we going here? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. <laughs> and you know, but to his credit, good thing we're only eleven chapters in. <laughs> so I reread, just reread it this morning. This is a summation of an empty book, of mm. a very scattered collection of thoughts. I love that you, you know, went through and, and marked all the privilege. Something that that jumped out at me. What is he talking about? He talks about. So the whole, the whole grad school thing, I thought that was interesting because he has mentioned going before and the sacrifice made. But then I'm like, but you didn't, you weren't a, a therapist, you weren't a counselor for very long. Like yeah. you, you were in it, I'd say maybe for a couple of years. And it sounds like mostly only in church settings. And then, you know, he even said, and then, you know, that led me off to be a, a writer and a creator and, you know, all yeah. these other things. And, and it feels, it feels like, is it just a choice? Like he got a job offer, right? right, right. And it's like, I, I guess I'm, what I'm trying to feel, and again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to empathize, right? With like, it, it, it is, it is maybe like he's he's flirting with an understanding of some components of like a capitalist toxic masculinity, right? right. I, he got this fabulous job offer in DC, big money, like big, like power opportunity and stuff. And I, my annotation was, Oh no, I got a great job. Like, <laughs> like so many of us need that, you know, like so right. many of us are just dying for that opportunity and not because, we want some powerful job, but because like we got kids, we got to send to college. We've got, we, we might dream of retiring someday, you know? So then he, so then he goes to the mountains for the weekend to sort things out, which Janice, as you know, if you can go to the mountains for the weekend, you are like a very lucky person 
right? right. Like you are a very privileged person. Like w- to have the time up, to not have to work weekends, like all of this, to have somebody, a woman, undoubtedly take care of your kids, your wife, right? right? right. And, and just to not be expected to be the primary caregiver of little humans. And so like he has all this privilege, he goes to the mountains. So then he, you know, turns down the job offer. He comes home and then his undoubtedly rich friend calls and is like, oh, we're paying for you to go to grad school. And it's like, okay, like, and that is wonderful. I mean, like, school should not be as expensive as it is. Like, you know, we shouldn't have to go into debt. But, like, when I went to grad school, I literally went into a massive amount of debt, you know. And, and, and again, like, and and even to that extent, like, there, there was privilege in, in being, having access to the loans and stuff like that. But, like, I'm just like, you just made a choice. Like, you just made a life choice. And on top of that, you got lucky. And I guess you could call that God. Or you could just be like, I don't, I don't know. Like, and, and, but, but it seems to me the big crisis of faith or whatever for him is like this pressure to, to stay in the rat race, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's, but he never acknowledges the systemic, the system that put him in place to be able to have those jobs, to even have the level of privilege to have a choice and then, and then the privileges that kind of fund his ministries and all of that stuff, like all of those are working together for his and people like him to have a whole lot, right? And he never acknowledges that. He just, he only talks about it as like a burden and it just seems really whiny, I guess. Yeah. So the exact, let me see what he say. So he's talking about risk. The whole, risk is the whole thing, right? Like God wants you to live a life of risk. Adventure requires risk, so you have to be willing to risk it all. So he's, you know, so yeah, so he's talking about applying to grad school. You see, when I applied to school, I hadn't a nickel to pay for it. I was married with three children and a mortgage, and that's the season when most men completely abandon their dreams and back down from jumping off anything. So I'm like, well, number one, the classic evangelical path you guys are trying to get people married off and into mortgages and families ASAP, right? Because you need that to keep people from jumping ship, not just from capitalism, but from evangelicalism. So your thesis is off right away because the rest of this book is encouraging men to get into these situations. And then he says, you know, so they're not jumping off anything. The risk just seems too great because it is on top of it all. I received a call about that time from a firm back in Washington, D.C., offering me a plum job at an incredible salary. I would be in a prestigious company, flying in some very powerful circles and making great money. God was thickening the plot, testing my resolve. John, from what I know of your story, before becoming a counselor, you were in the arts. What is this job in Washington, D.C., with what kind of firm? Like, you're just making stuff up. We have no details here. Mm-hmm. It's a very prestigious, prestigious company. I'd be, you know, flying in, in great circles, making lots of money. I Text or it didn't happen, John. Like, <laughs> Seriously, seriously. Yeah, what, yeah, what are these arty jobs? Like, it was probably, it was probably like, uh, what was that one that the Duggar boy worked at? Family. It had focused. to be 
It had something to be like something. Family Research Council or something horrible right. like that. You right. know? Yeah, and those guys, they probably do make good money, and they do fly in power school circles, but who wants to hang out with them? Like, right. The so that's probably what it is. So God is out here just offering you great things and easy ways out just for fun, while yeah. other people don't, like, God, test me that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah, I, there was, yeah, there, it, this, this, there was a couple of, there was a couple of points where I was like reminded of just this question that I've heard you ask before of like, God, God is really so into this. God is really so like, this is so important to God and, and the well being of the entire friggin' universe that like, he's got to be tested about whether or not he becomes a counselor, which actually he probably could have done all this other stuff that he did without becoming a counselor. Right? Because yep. it's not as though this book is rife with psychological knowledge. Right? I mean, so it's like, I, I don't know. It just seems like I wish God had better things to do than, than test John about, you know, his, like, one excellent, amazing life offer or another. You know? Right. Like, when, like, there are families without food. Like, you know. Right. So, yeah. Right. Good heavens, John. Yeah. Privilege. Yeah. And to be, to be this recording this now, right? The world was on fire before, right. but it's on fire, on fire right now. Yeah. And so, like, I've been wrestling a lot lately with my own privilege and my own, yeah. you know, just, just, just the unfairness of life. Yeah. And like, it's just it was already hard to take this book seriously. But it's even more so now, because you're going to tell me God has all this time to test John Eldridge with great things. But he's got nothing for the people of Palestine, for Israel right now. Like, (laughs) but literally, God forbid that John Eldridge doesn't know which great opportunity to go after. God, God help us if he takes that corporate job, like. It's just the whole, the whole world's going to twist on its axis. What could be worse? What could be worse? What could be worse than John Eldridge working a good job? Yeah. Like, and it's, again, like you said, he, he gets so close. Like John Eldridge, his beef is with capitalism, ultimately. Hmm. Like he just wants to, he wants to, and I can't fault. I want the same thing. I just want to be able to do what I want to do, mm-hmm. enjoy my life, and not have to be tied down by money, right? Mm-hmm. But like John, you're pretty much already living that life. Mm-hmm. But you're there's something missing, and you know, I think I know what it is because hashtag undertones. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> You can't, you don't want to accept that. So you're just mad at the world and you just want to rip things down, but they're not too much. Cause you also, you love a Confederate soldier. You love a colonial adventure. You love the idea of you being able to go conquer new things and climb mountains. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a part where he talks about that old river, you know, he grew up next to and he loved no, no. I love the name given 
to the river by the French trappers. And I'm like, yes, of course you would love the name of the exactly. river given exactly. by <laughs> these settlers, these colonizers, you know, because it's all about you. It's the river scoundrel over here in these in the rogue range, and I'm a rogue on the rogue. And it's like, no, you're, just- you're really not. You're just a kid. <laughs> like, I mean, and you're, God, it's like you're such a lucky freaking kid yeah. to be able to go on a river and fish. Right. Like, you know, like just so many people don't have access to that. Like, to just have to have leisure time is such a gift, you know, and. And he just, he's, but he's just so, it's like he's, he's oppressed. He's, but he's, but, but, but he's doing it to himself. Like, you know, like you can just let yourself out, dude. Like, just go. You can. Yeah. We're just not go. stopping you. I promise. <laughs> I promise. I promise. Oh no, you can never write another book for us? Ah, oh, well, I guess that's a sacrifice we'll just have to make. Yeah. We'll have to live with that. Yeah. I wanted to read this poem that he quoted from George oh Chapman. <laughs> okay, tell me this isn't sexual. <laughs> and it's called Courage, okay? Give me a spirit that is on life's rough sea, loves to have his sails, sails filled with a lusty, lusty. wind. <laughs> Even till his sail yards tremble, his masts crack and yep. his wrapped ship runs her side so low. And I mean, and then, and, and then right after that, he says that life is not a problem to be solved. It's an adventure to be lived. And then he calls life a high stakes drama that God, an enterprise that the, that God called good. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I just put that poem. I was like, that, and and he, he followed Christ. It, like tr- he's talking about desire. I'm like, dude, how are you not acknowledging the blatant like <laughs> sexual? Like it's not even, it's not even like subtle. It's just like wind and I mean, like it says lusty. lusty. And I'm just like, and this he just pops that right in there. I'm just like, I don't know. Just well, out of nowhere. Even... For no yeah. reason. Just <laughs> here. Here's a poem. <laughs> what? He just drops all these. I, I was I did some uh <clears throat> as they would say on uh on uh, the rewatchables, uh I did some half-assed internet research before this. <laughs> and I'm Googling all these guys. They're all they all have one thing in common. They're all old and white and dead. And a lot of them are just British. And I'm just like, all right, well. <laughs> <laughs> Who are, but it's like, you know, you introduce these like expert opinions into your, into your book and you don't even like say who they are. It's just like this guy. And then it's just so weird. So the one name I did recognize, I was like, oh, John, like you're such a, you're such a piece of shit. Like you're so, you're so awful. So, you know, he talks about going into just walking into a bookstore and how God, you know, will speak to him. So he just picks up a book and he just reads one sentence and, you know, that's it. So he says, oh, God led him to this book. In the introduction to the book that rose to this day, the author, Gil Bailey, shares a piece of advice given to him some years back by a spiritual mentor, mentor, Howard Thurman. And I know who Howard Thurman is. Howard Thurman wrote Jesus and the Disinherited, 
So like this is this black liberation theologian. So then I'm like, well, who is Gil Bailey? And so then I look him up and then he just seems to be this dry white man, but he studies like religious anthropology, I guess, whatever. So I don't know. I'd have to look more into that to see what his whole deal was. But it doesn't matter because John ultimately says he reads that one sentence and puts the rest of the book down and right. you know, just goes on his way. But I'm like, you can't even, you did whatever you needed to do to find out who this quote came from. But then, like, you can't even give Howard Thurman his flowers. You're going to beat his quote into the ground, but you're going to hide it under the name of this white man. You know, mm-hmm. and then later he says, you know, to paraphrase. But I'm like, you didn't paraphrase it. You, you repeated it exactly. Except, you know, the original quote says, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because the what the world needs is people who have come alive. So he quotes it again later, and he says, well, ask yourself what makes, you, what makes you come alive and go do that, because what the world needs is men who have come alive. Mm. So I'm like, so you're changing this. <laughs> you're taking this black man's words. You're, first, you're diminishing him. You, you mentioned Gil Bailey way more than you mentioned Howard Thurman. Mm. And then you're going to take that quote, and then you're going to change it to men. Like, you, don't, you guys don't have enough already. Like, everything is already for you. And in this instance, where this man specifically said people, so this is for everyone, you're going to say, no, no, no. This, this is just for men. Well, and in the context of black liberation theology, I mean, the type of freedom that he's talking about is, is, is the, the, you know, like the Toni Morrison freedom that makes other people more free. It's, right. it's, and it is, of course, this, it is an anti-capitalist and personal view, but it's so tone deaf, you know, to take, like you said, to take a black man's work and change it to not get, to not credit him appropriately. And then he takes so much shit out of context. And I'm just yeah. like, dude, you know, you could like quote one person, do it well, and then make a compelling something, but that would obviously not fit with this book. <laughs> but it's like the, the context of that is so, it's so, it's so fucked up. Like, it's just like, again, like black liberation theology is, is, is about the human dignity and, you know, and breaking free of of a theology that enslaved you know forever you know and 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 what what the fuck is john enslaved to right his mortgage that he signed (laughs) that he was able to sign that he was able to sign absolutely absolutely and that's so inconvenient for him janice that is just so inconvenient oh oh man yeah, I really I, hated. I hated this line so much. I underlined it right before the book thing about <laughs> about. I just got to read this. Uh, how God has His way of speaking to all our quirky hearts. <laughs> to Stacy, He speaks through movies. To I was Craig, like, to Stacy. Uh huh. Yeah, that's just him. That's just Stacy. <laughs> but to to Craig, <laughs> just his random BFF. 
He speaks through rock and roll. He called me the other day after listening to Running Through the Jungle to say he was fired up to go study the Bible. I bet he did. Mm -hmm. And then God words to me comes to me in many ways. Blah, blah, blah. But he's got an especially humorous thing going with me and books. And that was the point where I was like, my God. I was like, I really wish the Lord had better things to do. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, it's he's so self-centered, you know? I was just like, what? And then and then just the next part about that, I was struck dumb after the, the Thurman quote. I was struck dumb. It could have been Balaam's donkey for all I cared so I looked up Balaam's donkey, and apparently the message there is that God must open our eyes to see him as clearly as the donkey does. So I think he misused that metaphor. But anyways, I was just like, what is happening? Like, mm -hmm. Which is also like, because when I first read it, I was like, oh, this is the first thing I agree with. Because I read it as I could have been Balaam's donkey. For all I was concerned, I was like, oh, yes, you are you are an ass, John, so yes. <laughs> but I was like, oh, no, no, it could have been Balaam's donkey for all I was concerned. And I'm like, so wait a minute. Balaam's donkey, Balaam is listening to, <laughs> the, don the donkey speaks. So that's the story, right? Balaam is, Balaam is this prophet who is sent to curse Israel, and he's going to do it for money. So then he's going along the road, and his donkey stops. And it's because the donkey sees an angel that's about to take take Balaam out of here. So the donkey stops. He beats the donkey. And then the donkey speaks to him. And is like, dude, there's an angel. I'm saving your life. You know. So who is Balaam? Who is the donkey? Is Howard yeah. Thurman the donkey? Is this somebody who you're not expecting oh, wisdom God. from? You're not. Why? Why would you say that? Yeah. Why does this need to be here? What the hell are you saying right now, John? Yeah. And why does he have to keep, every time he mentions Thurman, why does he have to keep mentioning the other guy? Right. Like, it's, how about we just take his counsel? Like, right. the, the counsel, it's like, he's, it's like he's got to filter it through, you know? And I'm sure, I'm sure he doesn't even think about any of this like he does because he doesn't have to he doesn't because he, he, he can just he can just say whatever because <laughs> you know because he's so oppressed he's poor john poor john poor john and <laughs> you know, so yeah so god you know, god speaks to our quirky heart so he speaks to stacy through movies to craig through rock and roll but he comes to me in many ways sunsets friends Films, music, wilderness, and books. So it's like, John, how did you, how did you get so far to where like God has to give you all these great signs and God has to, he has to test you and, and should I go to grad school or should I take this amazing opportunity, like whatever. If he's speaking to you in all these ways, all the time, why are you having such a hard time? Why, why are we here? If God is just, all Stacy gets is movies, but you get sunsets, you get friends, you get films, you get the wilderness, and books. And even in books, God's like, ah, I don't want to, he, he shouldn't have to read whole books. So I'm just going to give him key sentences. 
Like, he didn't even have to buy the book, Janice. <laughs> he just, he, is, he essentially stole the words out of the book. Because he just put it down and walked out of the store and went to grad school, like, directly from there. He just got in the car, just drove to grad school. He was, that was all he needed. Just a glance. Just a glance. Right. Because he lives, yeah, I set, I set the volume down without turning another page. He said, well, that's it. And I'm like, John, we should all be so lucky. I wish I could have read one sentence of this book, taken it completely out of context, and just gone on with my life. He says a lot of other things, too, that are really unsettling. The next section, the uh, what are you waiting for section, it's just insane. Where would we be today if Abraham had, so essentially he goes through all of these prophets, if Mm -hmm. Moses and Abraham hadn't done, if you wouldn't have the gospel of Paul had concluded that the life of, of a Pharisee, while not everything a man dreams for, was at least predictable and certainly more stable than following a voice he heard on the, on, heard on the Damascus Road. Bruh, it seems to me that their theology implies that that's not how it works, that God would have worked no matter what, that God would have sent the gospel, if not through Paul, then through Matt or through Joe, right? Like, is it really that fragile? Is it really that precarious? Like, I mean, that seems, uh, and the the whole entire existence of the universe, you know, it, that we live in right now, it, it relies on these men taking this, this adventure that he argues for. And then he go, this was because we've got a significant, uh, like random, scenario coming up on the next page but before we get to that we're gonna hit we're gonna hit Cain okay <laughs> which is again unhinged from just goes from all of this you know we gotta we gotta do this stuff we gotta be brave and stop eliminating risk so then the price of our vitality is the sum of all our fears transitions to for murdering his brother God sentences, sentences Cain to the life of a restless wanderer. Mm-hmm. Five verses later, Cain is building a city. That sort of commitment, the refusal to trust God and the reach for control runs deep in every man. What is he what? even talking about? What? Because I'm... Sure, I don't can't remember if it was. I think it's in this book or if it's in Captivating. But there's a point where he he's praising Cain because he's saying no, like Cain does what men want to do. They want to build cities. They want to you know conquer new land and whatever. And I'm like, but what what is this? What are you saying? But it but even yeah, this whole section. Because if Abraham had carefully weighed the pros and cons of God's invitation and decided he'd rather hang on to his medical benefits, three <laughs> weeks paid vacation, and retirement plan in earth. First of all, the privilege, all right? Medical benefits. Who has that? Us. That wasn't his other option. Like, was, yeah. A stable life. I mean, we're talking about a time period. It's just so... It's just so... Like he is, he, he truly believes that this is how the world is. This is it. This is the world. This is my world. Like he has no concept that there are people who would, 
who, who, a job with medical benefits and vacation, sign me the fuck up, brother, because I right. don't have, I mean, because I'm working an hourly job or I'm working in a contract situation. Like, it, it, and, and it's, I mean, we're talking about people who lived to age 27, you know, and like just then died of, you know, probably a paper cut. Well, they didn't have paper, but you know, right. I mean, like they had an infection and died. I mean, that, that would be normal. And so like, so, so like Abraham, it's not, Abraham didn't have any stability. You know, he just projects this stuff onto a story. And it's so, I mean, it's, it's so, it speaks to his worldview, but it's also just so ham-handed. It's like, dude, what are you even talking about? Well, then it gets even worse. What would have happened if Moses had listened to his mother's advice to never play with matches and lived a careful, <laughs> cautious life steering clear of all burning bushes? First of all, okay, why are women, women just had to catch a stray here, right? Why It had to be his mother, right? And then, John, what, which mother are we talking about? The one that put him in the basket to to not play with matches, to be, you know, safe. Again, matches are not a thing in this right. day and age. <laughs> and also matches don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> At all. So so which which mother which mother is catching the stray here? The one who took the biggest risk and put him in this basket to try to save his life? Or the woman who took the risk of taking this baby out of the river and raising him, you know, in the palace. Like, which one of those women to you seems like the nagging type to be like, oh, but Moses, beware of fire. What? Why are you doing this? It's, it's, it's so clear, you know, that, that, Anybody who's not just exactly like him is just a bit part in this world. Women, you know, like, it's just so clear. Like, he just doesn't see beyond himself. It's so weird. Like, oh. No, and it's like you're not even... You're not a good storyteller because you are you are unable to take these well-worn stories that we all know. So if you want to make correlations, you can. But you are it's like you're correlating it backwards. Cuz you like your your imagination is so small. Oh, let me see the main point of Moses's life is this burning bush. So what could what could his fear be? Oh, maybe not playing with matches. So we'll put this thing with the burning bush the, the crazy thing about the bush burning is not the burning it's it's the speaking it's yeah. you know maybe it'd be better oh if his mother told him you know never talk to strangers never you know whatever but like the physicality of the thing is not not the issue that's not the crazy part that's not where the fear or the risk would be if the bush was just burning and Moses just stood there and looked at it It'd be a completely different story. We wouldn't be talking about it. The fact that there's this voice coming from it that's telling him what to do. Is he saying Moses would have been like, oh, sorry, God, you should have spoke from a bush that wasn't burning because my mom told me (laughs) never to play with matches. But they don't exist. 
<laughs> my mom told me to play with this thing that doesn't exist yet, but it's going <laughs> to exist in several hundred years or how I don't know when matches were invented yet. <laughs> I have no idea either. But Moses was like, nah, I got I to gotta get to making those because my mom told me not to play with them, but I got to make them exist first. <laughs> so that would be actually a really interesting like turn of fate if like like also credited to Moses invented matches <laughs> oh i i i yeah, okay and so 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 the then the the end of that paragraph where would we be if jesus was not fierce and wild and romantic to the core I said, I said, what? Yeah. Yeah. Come to think of it, we wouldn't be at all if God hadn't taken the enormous risk of creating us in the first place. How is it a risk? Come on. How is it Come a on, risk? John. How is it a risk? And if, for who? For whom? It's like, if, if this God is who they say he is, this all-knowing, all-powerful God, there's literally no risk involved. Like Because he could also just... zap us all like oops (laughs) these dipshits i mean like oh my god which is like john you just can't have it both ways because if if human if creating humanity was a risk for god then this god doesn't know everything right so is that what we're saying John, is that where you want to go? But no, you don't, because this God does know everything. Because this God is testing you, and this God is putting these paths before you for you to take a risk to see what you're going to do. So it can't all be risk, John. It just can't. And then this idea of, like I say, he's just a bad, bad storyteller. John, John is the main character, not just in his story, in everybody's. Like, I have to be... You all need to look at me. You all need to recognize that I am the main character. Mm -hmm. And the way I want to be like William Wallace, you all should want to be like me. Because I am living, yeah, this this is my movie, and the rest of you are just extras in it. Yeah. And there's a point when he says that, the spiritual world cannot be made suburban. suburban. Meanwhile, this entire this entire book is addressed to dudes like him who live in the suburbs. Right. He talks about men with secretaries. You know, who is this book for? Men with secretaries, right? Like, who the fuck even calls them secretaries anymore? But like, whatever. But like, it's... It's just, it's a world that he sustains, that he mm-hmm. built. His father built it. His brothers, his, the, the guys who he's so obsessed with sitting around a fire with, like, they're all upholding this world. And I, I kept thinking as I was reading this, like, the, the rich man, when he went to Jesus, he said, you know, how can I enter into the kingdom of heaven? And this, and, and, and he said, sell everything and follow me. John has this romantic view of what it's like to be maybe a little poor or something, you know, like, and, and, and he, but, 
I, I feel like that's the one thing that he and his friends are not willing to give up is their wealth. You know, like, I mean, because everything comes back to money. He talks about, I mean, he talks about a friend who's in his 50s who gets back to doing art. Yeah, you know what people mm -hmm. in their 50s often have after an entire career in the business world? Money. Money. Like, and secretaries, but also money, you know? And, and so, yeah, like, and I'm, I mean, and I can say, like, with honesty that, like, I'm in my late 40s. And so, like, I, I am able to pursue my hobbies more than I, than I used to be. You know, again, due to having a job, you know, right. but like I have a little bit more financial flexibility, you know, and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to bemoan what is, I'm lucky to have, right. you know, right. it's just so, it is so, it is just so tone deaf. And I, I mean, I just, I don't, he, I just, and it, every time I think of it, he, He's, I, I just keep thinking about like, isn't God like more concerned with people who, who need to be able to eat, who need to be able to have a home, who need to be able to safely put their children to bed at night without having a bomb drop on them. Like my goodness, like I would think that that would be more important, you know, rather than this craving of danger, like danger, like, like it's, that's it's... stupid. <laughs> and it's very it's very safe danger yeah. right like like safe john you danger. you just want to be able to go mountain climbing to go whitewater river rafting to to have these <laughs> suburban adventures right you just want to be able to do that and i'm not going to begrudge you that love that i wish i wish you had just done that Full time instead of full time. writing these books. Like I, I want that for you. And we're all, we're all, we're all struggling under the burden of capitalism because capitalism is this man-made system. It is not, it is not the natural state of things. And I think we're all getting closer to realizing, like, oh, we've all been scammed. Like this is not, this is not how life is supposed to be. And so we'd all love to be able to do whatever it is that we love full time, but mm -hmm. we all have to make these sacrifices to be able to pay rent and to be able to eat and whatever. But then as things are getting more unattainable, it's like, no, we're still working, but people can't get mortgages now. People yeah. can't afford, can't afford to live. So then we're like, well, what is this for? What yeah. are we doing? And so, like, it's just a very different place to be coming from when you're, we're calling for the end to the system and realizing, no, it's going to take sacrifice and that's going to cause chaos. And it's going to be, ah, I don't really know how this is going to work, but I want to figure it out for the sake of a better world. There are things that I want everyone to have, so we've got to figure this out. But John feels like he's coming from a place where it's like, no, this system actually works for me. I'm fine with everyone else being crushed by it as long as I'm able to escape from it enough to have my fun when I want it the way that I want. But everybody else needs to stay. You guys need to keep working because mm -hmm. I need secretaries. I yeah. need employees. So freedom for me, but not, not for everybody. 
So it can only, only some of us can be free, and it should be men. Obviously. And preferably white men, but yeah. men. Yeah. Because even yeah. when he's talking about Adam, right? Before the moment of Adam's greatest trial, what, what was that? Eve asking him, you want some fruit? That, was that his greatest <laughs> trial? Okay. God provided no step-by-step plan, gave no formula for how he was to handle the homeless. God literally gave him the instructions if we're going with, with this biblical interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. Eve wasn't here yet. God said, hey, do whatever you want. Just don't eat from that tree. He's the only one who got the instructions, but he said, no, <laughs> no formula for how to handle the whole mess. That was not abandonment. That was the way God honored Adam. You are a man. You don't need me to hold your hand through this. You have what it takes. What God did offer Adam was friendship. He wasn't left alone to face life. He walked with God in the cool of the day. And there they talked about love and marriage and creativity, what lessons he was learning and what adventures were to come. This is what God is offering to us as well. So like (laughs) Eve both got blamed for this whole thing and X'd out of this whole exchange. So God's only walking in the cool of the day with Adam. We're literally coming from a scripture that says it is not good for man to be alone. And he says he wasn't left alone. Wait. What he said? God said he was alone when it was just him and Adam. He's like, no, he right. needs... He needs someone else. But now, no, he wasn't alone because he had God. And they were walking and talking about love and about marriage. About love and marriage. Marriage? What concept does Adam have of marriage? There's literally nobody else. What, what does he have to talk to him about? I know, I know it's rough, man, but that's your wife. And, that's- <laughs> and, and that actually, in context, it goes back to his very scary moment with poor Stacy. My Stacey. God. Oh God. So <laughs> just prior to this, this walk through the forest with Adam and God. He, and, and Adam and God only. Only. Leave was not invited or necessary <laughs> for any of that. He tells this story of his wife that he comes home from work one day and his kids had been kicked out of the house. They were playing in the yard. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very dramatic. Instead of being told to just go play outside, they were locked out. Okay. Yep. And, and the kids say, I wouldn't go in there if I were you, dad. She's in a bad mood. I knew exactly what he was, was describing. The house was shut inside. All was dark and quiet. Now, and let me ask the men reading this, what was everything inside me telling me to do? (laughs) Run away. Don't even think about going in. Stay outside. And then he he gets up there and he says to her, what's wrong? And and he goes, I'm like, how is this? What are you, what, again, what are you talking about? What, but like, so, so in conclusion, your wife needed some time alone and made the kids go play outside. Like what? Like people have bad days, John. 
Women too. Women too. And Stacy's been honest with us about her struggles with mental health. And so she may have been depressed. She may have been anxious, you know, which is, you know, if his fear was for Stacy, right. I might have some empathy with him for him, but his fear of Stacy and this alliance with the kids, like this crazy woman is in there. She's, she's locked us out. Like, come on, like, come on. It's like he always, he makes such a big deal out of everything. It's like your wife had a bad day. Like, well, Stacy, Stacy caught so many strays in this exchange. Yeah. He said, I got home from a trip on a Sunday afternoon. So first of all, the privilege of you, again, being able to go away for the weekend, right? And leaving, leaving your three kids. You didn't have to think about the babysitter, like nothing. You just, you just went and found them playing out on the front yard. You got yards, you got a front yard. You got, a, these are out, they're out front. Wow. must be nice. It was a cold November day. Too cold to be outside. So Stacy's a bad mom because she doesn't sit these kids outside in the cold. It's too cold for them. So I asked them what was up. Mom kicked us out. Knowing there's often a good reason when Stacy banishes them. Banishes. And often, not always. Sometimes. Sometimes, occasionally. Banishes them for no good reason. Right? I press for a confession. They maintain their innocence. So I headed for the door to get the other side of the story. I totally missed that part about being away for the weekend because I was so just appalled by the other parts. But like, you know, any, any parent of kids, of small kids knows what it's like when you've been running all week, you know, and then all of a sudden your parent partner, whoever they may be, is now gone. And now it's like the, the, the times where you get to decompress, if you're so lucky as to have weekends off, you know, where you get to decompress on the weekend. Now you've got all of the kids on you constantly. There's nobody to help with the rides. There's nobody to, to feed them or let you take a nap while they play with them outside or whatever. And so he's just strolling up on a Sunday. I mean, and, and, and any, any parent after a whole weekend alone with three kids is like, please go lay outside like you know and he's just oh my god he's just it's she she needed a minute she needed a minute she was probably taking a nap like you know like a normal woman a normal human being like my body and my soul and my mind are tired and 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 i have three kids and they can play with each other like you know each other and i got three three eldridge boys three sons of john raised to be wild by daddy like, come on now. Get out of here. And then, like, he never even, he just makes all these implications. He says, oh, I asked my wife the most terrifying question any man ever asked his woman. What? What's wrong? His woman. After that, it's all mystery. We don't even know how this ends. Like, like she literally might have just, she could have just been taking a nap. Like, he's, the house is dark and quiet. Of course, she sent them outside. And she's just laying down. We don't even know that anything was wrong. She had a like, migraine. She, just... she, she, you know, she had the stomach flu. Could have been anything. But he's, he's so weird. Why is, why is he so afraid of her? Like, she's just his wife. Like, what is, this, this is reminiscent of when he, they got married. And, uh, and then he was, he woke up the next day in terror. In terror, I was like, cold sweat and regret. Cold sweat. I was like, <laughs> 
She, I, I just, oh my God. Like, it's that, undertone. it's this most terrifying question you can ask him. What's wrong? And then she's the kindest question John ever asked me. How are you? How are you? <laughs> this poor woman. You guys. <laughs> and she's just a supporting character. She's just, she's even a supporting character and captivating, you know? Like, yeah. it's, it's, she's just, it's, and this is all just an illustration of, of John and, and his, a woman doesn't, and then he goes into a woman doesn't want to be fixed. Nobody wants to be fixed. She, she wants to be known. Author Mike Mason was absolutely right when he called marriage the wild frontier. <laughs> and it's like what that whole, what, John, where was this going? Because yeah. this didn't, this, this, this didn't need to be here. What did no. we learn from this? No, because now we're don't going even into spiritual to... battle. Right. Which, of course, brought on by the woman. Of course. Obviously. Because, again, you don't finish this scenario. You don't tell us what happened. You literally say, after that, it's all mystery. What? No, and now we're going to the allies in France. Right. <laughs> oh, what is going God. on here? When you contextualize these books, you know, and you think about all the churches that were just peddling these books, right? And their model of Christian marital communication is, is honestly, it's, it's breathtakingly bad. Who are these people that are like, oh yeah, totally, that's totally normal that you, that you only ask your wife how she's doing, like, if you feel like it. Like, what in the world? Like, who even... Like, I don't treat my colleagues that way. I don't treat my dog that way. I literally, when I walk in the door, Janice, I ask my dog how her day was. Like, I treat, so so in conclusion, I treat my dog better than John Eldridge so treats his wife. I, that's the kindest thing. Well, she really is spoiled, let's be real. But, <laughs> but like... I mean, it's it's like these basic, just basic, basic things. And again, it does it hints at there's something, you know, inherently off for him about this relationship, you know. And I mean, and that's super sad, you know. That's you know, like if if this was not the path for you, marriage and you know her or whatever it was like but my goodness dude like this is not but but all these churches they just they just throw this out there like and and you know what you can just hear the pastor right going oh you know how it is brothers when you get home and she's in a mood she's in a mood and you've right. gotta you've <laughs> gotta reason. not not no fixing no you can't be fixing them <laughs> but you gotta be you gotta you you gotta do that scary thing you know what's the matter baby this is my this and you know what Janice that was just every little girl's dream like oh Mary my god I just want someone to ask me what's wrong one only when I'm miserable uh depressed and you know deep and dark like she I'm like what what part of the marriage are we at in here has she told him about her dizzy spells yet or was this a dizzy spell and you know (laughs) who who knows what's wrong with this woman right 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 yeah. But then at the, is that the end? Yeah. So the, fun. I've made, I've made a number of decisions that make no sense unless there is a God and I am his friend. And I was like, this is, this is, this is the issue here. Like you have written this whole book to justify yourself 
and how you are. Because, yeah, your life only makes sense mm-hmm. if there's a God and, mm-hmm. and he's your friend, right? Mm-hmm. And then this was this whole section that hashtag undertones. A number of years ago, I left my corporate job and struck out on my own following a dream. I've long feared, what corporate job? We're back. Is this the D.C. thing again? But you didn't have that job. What job did you leave? Okay. The imaginary corporate job. <laughs> Forget it. I picked up the shattered pieces of a vision I lost when my best friend and partner Brent was killed in a climbing accident. Unironically. What feels most crazy of all, I've opened myself to friendship again. And new partners, and we're heading out where Brent and I left off. Uh, yeah, I bet you are. Yeah. The stakes I'm playing at now are immense. Financially, sure. For you people who have to worry about money. <laughs> oh, my God. But more so spiritually, relationally. It's, requ- <laughs> it's requiring a concentration of body, soul, and spirit I've never before endured. Endured. To go climbing with Brent too. You know? (laughs) Where are these? By the way, why don't those new folks get named? That's kind of rude. Right. Those poor little guys. Right. And how, how, how is this the whole point of this book, right? Is that men, men don't do relationships. They weren't created for that. That's why they needed the toggle. That's why they had. That's why we had to put up with women because they have all the relational stuff, right? Like men, men don't confide in each other. Men don't whatever. But that's all you do. The only people that you like, that you trust, who get named in any good way, are your men friends. Mm-hmm. This is this is who you are finishing this chapter with. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. Stacy is nowhere nope. on this final page. No. Mm-mm. We're t- when we're She's just a about- bit part. She's just a bit part. <laughs> when it comes to the body, soul, and spirit, and, you know, spiritually and relationally, Stacy is nowhere mm-hmm. in this equation. Mm-hmm. That's not, doesn't matter. This is all about me and my corporate job that I left to strike out on my own. And the friend, my best friend and partner, who I lost and how I have had to be a, a big, strong, brave boy and branch out again to find new partners and new friendships to help me with all that I have endured. This is <laughs> Everest. This is it. This is Everest. This is the, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, he's bless his heart, you know, so that's so that's that, and that then, is that is that. And then tell tell the people what you sent me this morning, and how did you? Oh, find that okay. So I did some I did some googling. So again, my half-assed internet research, and I sent uh, Janice that. So Wild at Heart is 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 a ministry. Is so I googled Wild at Heart Ministries, and I found this this guide to hosting your own your own wild at heart fires and so you can start it's kind so it's kind of reminiscent of of like a small group you know and um (laughs) so you there's a little downloadable packet what is a wild at heart fire it's an authentic recurring gathering while men experience god (laughs) 
through the stories of other men all around a fire. And they have, so they have guidelines. Fires aren't religious. Your story matters. And then this, I was surprised by this. No bullshit allowed. They have actual swear word on there, which I was like, all right, interesting. And then confidentiality is is essential. What happens at the fire stays at the fire. And, you know, this, this, you know, longing for, for like male community. I mean, you know, I see that, like, I see how, how it is based on the structures that we've upheld. It is hard for men to have, you know, intimate friendships. The, <laughs> this is just so cheesy. Then they have a gear list, fire pit, firewood, fire, fire starter. starter. Don't ask Moses' mom for the fire starter. She'll be like, listen. This is, this is not a Moses' mom approved <laughs> gathering. So, so uh, men can bring their water to extinguish the fire. Mm-hmm. This is very, these are very basic instructions, Janice, just in case you don't have fireworks. Men can bring their own chairs. Drinks, cigars, and snacks are all optional. Uh, lights and extension cord are also optional. So in this accompanying photo, they have like the, like the white kind of holiday lights up, you know, it's like, it's very sweet. Yeah. The twinkle lights, very sweet. Very, yeah. Like very like sets the mood. That's also optional. Your authenticity and vulnerability are not optional and neither is your dependence on God to lead. And then he puts up like a sample schedule and stuff. And then they have, you know, some sample prayers. So then also on the website, there are a variety of retreats and workshops that you can either host or you can ask them to host. And there aren't any on the calendar. So I am wondering how much people are relying on this, but but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, you could, you could do this. You could, you, I mean, we can't, we cannot oh, host no. this. No, but no, no. I mean, we can probably put up the twinkle lights the and provide the snacks, but like the, the scripture for this, right? So the inspiration and first of all, all that fancy footwork this is not religious, but also uh, dependence on God is not a, like, what, what are we doing here? So the inspiration, is this verse from the Message Bible from Matthew. Uh Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before starting. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. All you need to keep that going is three meals a day, travel light. And I'm like, if I read this and I was going to base an event off of this for damn sure maybe it would be around a fire but a meal would be included like this would be a meal thing like invite your buddies over and if you just have to be men and there has to be fire involved then this is a weekly barbecue you know something whatever where do you get fire pit out of this so underneath that it says Do men need another group study? Nope. Men need authentic friendship. Men need God. Men need stories of thrill, of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Men need laughter. 
Men need permission to be and become men. And men need each other. The wild at heart, that's why wild at heart fires were born. Lord help us. I just, who is stopping these people from being men? Like I, that is, I want to know. I want to show me. Like where are these, I'm stopping you from being a man. Like just, I mean. And how does this, like who is just going, oh, I just see something on fire over there. Let me just go stand around with these guys and talk about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Like, well, you know what, Janice? They, and I say this with sincerity, their wives fed them dinner. Right. Their wives fed them. these. I mean, again, like this is the filter through which John looks at the world. This would be happening, because even the scheduled time is, it's pretty late. It's like 637 This, is, this right? is dinner time. I feel like the assumption is your wife feeds you dinner, and you go have drinks and cigars with the boys at the fire. Right. Yeah, that's the only way this works. That's it, that's it. It's like it would just be it would be a completely different vibe. And I think more more opening, more vulnerable. If it's like you are going to cook dinner for your friends. You're going to have these men come over and again we, we have to be ultra manly, so fine. It's a barbecue. That is the fire that we're having. You are gonna prepare this meal together and then you're gonna sit and eat and this is this is how we mend together. But, yeah, this is just, because you're not even, how is, I'd rather, go bowling, go to a game together, go do something. Like, this is so manufactured. This is, do men need another group study? Nope. But that's what this is. That's exactly what this is. <laughs> the, uh, so then they're going to have, after they introduce, and they, oh my gosh, so take three minutes for silence for each man to recover his breath and come into the present moment. During that time, reflect on this sentence. I am feeling blank about blank because of blank. I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to this. I'm not, I'm not opposed to this idea that men would, would have permission to feel things. <laughs> and then they have these questions for authentic masculine conversation, Janice. <laughs> Uh, the time is free form as God leads and that everybody gets one question. What comes up for you as you listen to the initial comments for other men? Where do you feel behind? Where have you felt alive as a man in recent days or months? What is your most difficult relationship to navigate? What is current dilemma you're facing as a man? I mean, I, I like none of this is where do you feel impotent as a man? Lord, what, uh, yeah, I mean, none of this is bad. It's just, it's just weird. <laughs> it's just weird. Like if you have to be told to act, like also this is this is very evangelical. This is love bombing. This is like you these are some big questions for just a random group of men that just turned up. Mm -hmm. And especially if we're coming from this wild at heart theology that says men don't naturally relate and don't naturally connect. Yeah. But something about this fireside chat and authentic masculine conversation is just gonna have these men just oh <laughs> well uh lucky the fire is there because it just opens me up but uh yeah i'd love to tell you all where i feel impotent <laughs> right now what's your name again okay yeah <laughs> and the, but and it's important to remember janice that this is not this is not religious at all 
It's free form as God leads. It is free form as God, as the Lord leads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think what we're leaving the audience with is if you want to join one of these fires, you can, you can look and see if there's one near you, or you could start you one. Can start you could start a fire group. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, these, so it, are, these are big questions. So when they say, you know, oh, it, uh, ideally a group should be from three to 20 people. But I'm like, imagine if you have a group of 10, 10 men. How much time does that give you to talk about where do you, where do you feel impotent? So is this just round robin? We're just <laughs> everybody. We're not going to unpack that. We're just going <laughs> to just say ah. Thank you for sharing, Bob. Yeah. I, it's like it's like it's like I again. I feel like he's like so close, you know, so close to like you know recognizing yes, toxic masculinity is a thing, and yet, and yet. You know, like what also, why can't this be a co-ed situation? Like what, why? Because, because if you, if you follow this, you're still upholding some of that, you know, that like, it would be terrifying for a man to talk about something vulnerable in front of women. Like, you know, like it just assumes that, right? Like only the men can handle this. Like, you know, and it's, uh, he's so close. And yeah. it's also just this, this like, like, where do you where do you feel behind? Where do you feel impotent? What is the dilemma you're facing? These would be great conversations if you have a wife to be having with your wife, because like the idea of you sorting this out with another group, with this group of men who are thinking like you, that's ter- that's that's terrible. Like I don't want. I don't want some man that I know going and talking to John Eldridge about what's wrong. Because mm. the advice that John Eldridge is going to give him, the things these men are going to tell him, are going to be awful. And that's going to have an effect on me. But it's like, we could have just been having this conversation. Like, John's going to go to this fire and talk about, you know, oh, like you said, oh, you know how wives are. I got to <laughs> She fed me before I came here, but <laughs> but my boys are outside in the cold right now because she's in one of her moods. She's in one and, of her moods. And that's, and that's my greatest dilemma right now, you know? And you know what is mind-blowing, though? And, and it, you know, that, that John and Stacy talk about their own communication through such like a, like a stunted lens, you know? And then he's going to get all emotionally nude in front of these guys at the fire. I mean, like he can't, he is terrified. He's okay. He is terrified to ask Stacy how she's doing. You know, right. are you okay, baby? Okay. Uh, but he is not afraid to ask Bob, uh, what are you being invited to risk and what is standing in the way? I mean, again, it's like the, these churches just peddled these books and it's like, what are you saying about marriage? Like, what are you trying to tell us? Like, it's, I don't know. I'm, well, also, it's like every, almost every interaction they have written about as far as their marriage, right? Oh, uh, the day after I woke up in a cold sweat and then God had to remind me, you're a man, you have whatever. 
oh, we were driving and we were in traffic and she offered me directions and I wanted to divorce her immediately. But then God had to say, no, no, that's your wife. Oh, we went to this wedding and the bride was beautiful. What did he say? He said something inappropriate. like, why are you looking at this bride? Like, but you know, and it made me, ah, maybe hate state. But then God was like, no, go dance with your wife. And then we agreed. It was the greatest thing ever. Oh, my boys are playing outside and I don't want to go, but God, no, go. So it's like every time you guys have some kind of interact, you need divine intervention for every day life with every day like like just just like she didn't cheat on you she didn't you know she didn't join you know a cult she didn't you know like she didn't insult you you know spend all your money i mean like she's literally just living like she she suggested that maybe we could turn left you know this friggin' lady i cannot believe she's just trying to tear down my manliness like my goodness bro how fragile can you be like Oh my gosh. And right. this poor woman thinks it's like a, a gift when a man says hello. Like, she's just like, oh my God, thank you for acknowledging that I exist. Which is terrible, you know. Right. Oh but that's how, that's how he sees the world. That's how he thinks it should be. And that's how, that's how you want it. So yeah, wives are this, this imposition. It's this, this quest. You gotta, you gotta find one and win one. Cause that's just part of the assigned adventure. But all of your true self, all of the things that matter to you and that are deepest to your heart, that's for other men. Yeah. That's where that yep. goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's for that's for you. That's for Brent. That's for Craig. And that's for uh, your fire boys. Hashtag undertones. Mm-hmm. And I just wish John Eldridge had been free to. Yeah live the life he wanted to live mm-hmm. and leave the rest of us out of it. I want, I was wondering, do you think John's listening to this? I feel like if I were a writer and someone made like a professional published writer and someone made a podcast about my book, I think I'd feel compelled to listen. And I, I mean, I don't know if he's listening. I hope, I hope he, I hope he feels more than mocked, but like, I hope he, I hope, I hope he will ask some questions, you know, like yeah. just ask some questions. Like what, how did I get here? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I feel like, cause you never know, you never know who knows you exist or what's right. What's out there. I feel like if he knows it exists, then I just, I don't, he's such a narcissist. I cannot yeah. <laughs> imagine him not having to listen yeah. and say, what are, the, what are they saying about me? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like they can't help it. Like we just saw the other day, like you see Mark Driscoll talking about, you know, the new evangelicals. And he was? The, he mentioned, yeah. And it's oh. like, oh, like these people, they cannot help it as soon as they know somebody's talking about them. Like it just bothers them. They yeah. can't, yeah. they can't because leave they are the main characters. Right. Yeah. And how dare these bit parts? How, how dare we, how dare we, you know, I, ooh, I, so much of this stuff with, that we read in Wild at Heart just sounds like Mark Driscoll, like, oh, let's, let's burn things and 
you know, just be manly. So yeah, yeah. if if John Eldridge knows this podcast exists, he's a hundred percent listening and is enraged because yeah. <laughs> how dare yeah. a woman talk about my amazing books mm -hmm. she just doesn't get it i mean there were people in columbia whose lives were changed by this janice <laughs> <laughs> Pri wait prisoners, prisoners. right <laughs> prisoners oh lord oh heavens oh dear I've made a number of decisions that make no sense unless there is a God and I am his friend. A number of years ago, I left my corporate job and struck out on my own, following a dream I've long feared. I've picked up the shattered pieces of a vision I lost when my best friend and partner Brent was killed in a climbing accident. What feels most crazy of all, I've opened myself to friendship again and new partners, and we're heading out where Brent and I left off. The battle has been intense, a steep ascent that's taking everything I've got. The stakes I'm playing at now are immense, financially, sure, but more so spiritually, relationally. It's requiring a concentration of body, soul, and spirit I've never before endured. What is perhaps the hardest part is the misunderstanding I live with from others on a daily basis. Sometimes the winds hull around me, other times I fear I'll fall. The other day I was feeling way out on the end of my rope, cutting a path across a sheer face of risk. Out of my heart rose a question. What are we doing, God? We are climbing Everest, he said. Scale of 1 to 10. This is Moses with matches. Up to 10. Abraham forsaking medical insurance to follow the call of God and being sent to grad school for free. Where would you put this book, this chapter? I don't think this one is quite as harmful as some of the other ones, but only because it is just so nonsensical. So I feel like, you know, I feel like, you know, let's put it at a two and a half, you know, like if you like spectacle, like if you're into that kind of thing, if you want to show your uh, AP Lang students, like how not to write an argument, like go for it, you know, but otherwise, there are just so many other better things that you can spend your time on, you know? Like, you're just kind of, this is just, I, there's, if you've read any of the other chapters, you're fine. You don't need any more of this. Like, you're, we're done here. More, more drama with the wife, a bunch of, a bunch of bit parts, uh, and he still loves Brent, and, you know, that's it. He will so. never stop loving Brent. Yeah, he's a lovable fella. <laughs> Chapter 11, that's the big the big finish, basically. That is it. So, we're not recommending that. Do you have anything you would recommend? So, book, let me let me look at my at my recently read on Goodreads because I I I have I have a lot. One book that I would recommend and there's a movie coming out to go with it and I'm I'm very nervous about the the movie but is the uh, Leave the World Behind by Ruman Olam. Uh, so the movie, ha I'm just very nervous, and it's a, it's a quick read, and it's a dystopian, which is my favorite genre, and, and it's just beautiful. Like, the language is beautiful, and 
I'm nervous about the movie. Julia Roberts is in it, Ethan Hawke, and so like I hope it'll be good, but it could kind of it could kind of go a certain way, you know. But it, the book itself, just the words, the language is just lovely, and he seems like. I mean, as far as you can know anyone on the internet, he seems kind of like a lovely guy. And so I, I recommend that. And then I'll recommend one other one. I just listened to The Assignment by Lisa Weimer. And it's a book about, and it's based on a true story of a teacher who creates an assignment for her students to essentially make an argument for like concentration camps so they're they're to pose as nazis and they and they're to to kind of game out these arguments and two students in the book and they stand up to him and they there's there's a you know there's like a whole hubbub in the town as there should be and it was just a really it was a really powerful story about standing up to to power and just drawing a line and saying there are some arguments we don't need to make you know and how some of these arguments in this in the in the story it this this activity kind of empowered some of the students to kind of explore their little their racism and homophobia you know and and I think yeah I just I, I it was very powerful and you know as a teacher you know from the first page I was like is this guy crazy what is he doing you know and but just sort of, I felt I felt like it was a really important read especially you know with with uh with a lot that's that's been going on in the world right now so yeah recommended yeah that feels very very timely yeah so yeah all right good recommendations any any closing thoughts final words John if you're listening it's okay. Like you don't you don't have to stay locked up. And we will be here on the other side when you get free. Yeah. 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 Well, Melody will be there for you. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that. Thank you for dropping in on the Bad Book Club. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than we did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, the Legata Scratch production, and a God is not given side hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of Jodly and Jodwilling patrons like Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. If you're enjoying this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or a review on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you're looking for a better book experience, ask Amazon about The Grift of God and or The Divide by me, Janice Legata. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. This has been an episode of Bad Words, but to finish up, here are some good ones. I was thinking about the little cage that he has built for himself that his that has been built and I wrote the brethren have locked the doors not to keep one another in but to keep the rest of us the woman the brown man the unsaved the queer even the single and the poor locked securely out from this comfy cozy prison he and the brothers bemoan their state claiming the ones they've marginalized keep them locked there their cages don't work, though, without the funding of their cushy jobs and the real estate they've inherited. 
brethren, and I say this lo- with love, let yourself out. We really don't care. Beautiful. See, now, that's a book I would read. That's, <laughs> that's a book I would write. That's a book I would write. To it, because John, John has not let anything stop him that from putting all kinds of bad words out there. I was, when you, when you, uh, the, the podcast episode I was listening to earlier, when you all referenced Big Magic, and, and uh, I think, was it you or Tim who, or, or Adrian who said uh, that Elizabeth Gilbert says, don't do it for the audience, do it because you want to, and I was like, ooh, that, I needed to hear that, like, I, I really needed to hear that, like, just, whatever the thing is, like, I've been thinking a lot more about writing, like, I think probably every English teacher does, you know, like, and I, I was just like, why not just write? Like, write for me, and if, if it happens, it happens. If something happens to it, if it means something to anyone besides me ever, cool. If not, like, t- capitalism has told me that I'd have to sell it, you know, but I could just write it. I could just look at it and enjoy it, and, and, uh, and that would be enough.